Morning Church. We're glad you're here with us this morning. You join us online. Thank you with us. Would you help us out? Put your hands together this morning. Peace. 
worship you and sing out and uh, God I'm thankful that um, being to just hear your church sing is a blessing and um, there's not much more you can ask for as a as a worship pastor to be able to um, hear um, to hear your church sing back to you and when you're so used to leading and and make sure things go right and then just being to sit still and just hear the words that we're proclaiming this morning that your love is so deep um, and that as we sing these these words guys I hope you, you even hear what you're saying your love is so deep it's washing over me your face is all I seek are you seeking his face you are my everything I know I sing that and I don't know if he is my everything all the time and as we were singing this this morning and rehearsing these songs, I was telling the band earlier, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, man, I am just, it's just not worthy. The things I say, things I do, things I think, and these songs that we're singing today just knock me right between the eyes. Jesus Christ, you're my one desire. Hear our cry to know you all of our life. I pray, God, that you'd help us to live out this and not just sing it and not be emotional, just to be emotional, but that we would truly take to heart what you're trying to tell us this morning. God, that you would help us to be more, uh, that you'd help us to be better, that you'd help us in those ways be better, but only because of you, that you would uh, encourage us, that you would Help us to be aligned, Father, with you and not in our own ways. Your word tells us uh, to, not, um, to not trust ourselves or anybody else, but put our trust in you. And so, God, I pray that we would, we would do that very thing.
If you're in this room, you're online and you're watching right now and you're listening. We don't do this at Mount Air for anything else. We don't do it for a show. We don't put all this stuff on because we want um, recognition. We do this because we want God to know we love him and that we want to give our best and that the things that we do and how we proclaim this, it's because we love Christ and we want him to know that we love him. That's why we come this morning is to give him praise and thanksgiving is not to receive anything, but because our God is so good, he gives us something every single time we meet as a church. So I know for some, it might've been difficult to get here. And for some, you couldn't get here. God is bigger than all the things in your life that's going on the problems that you're, you're dealing with. He is bigger. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And this morning, don't just hear the words, but listen to what he's saying. We love you, God. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for singing with us, church. to Mount Ararat. We apologize for any extra noises you may hear around you this morning. Our stomachs are growling because we are in a new sermon series, Secret Sauce, and there's a lot of references about food. You have been warned. If you're a guest and you're not too hungry after this morning's message, would you fill out the Connect card attached to your worship guide and bring it with you to the Connect Hub in the People Street? We'd love to meet you and give you a free t-shirt just for being our guest. Here at Mount Ararat, we believe we are better together and that life groups are the best way to experience that. In a life group, you get to know others while growing in your relationship with God. If you're not in a life group, we have one that will work for you. Take a moment today and stop at the group link booth in the People Street to get information about women's groups, men's groups, and life groups. You can get information online too by using our group finder, our online groups registration tool at mtarat.org. Start the year off right by getting in a group. When the weather outside is frightful, there are three easy ways to be in the know about Mount Ararat delays or cancellations. Number one, check mtarat.org. Number two, download the Mount Ararat app and enable notifications. Number three, call the church office at 540-659-2554. Elevation Weekend is our local weekend retreat from February 16th to 19th. We bring in a special guest speaker, an amazing band, and we set up in a local host homes, dividing students into groups by gender and grade. College students serve as discussion leaders, providing real application from the large group teaching. If you do nothing else with us, come to Elevation and let us show you how much students mean to us. Register at mtarat.org and hurry, the cost goes up January 15th. Mount Ararat is one church in multiple locations. Whether you're worshiping with us at Garrisonville, Courthouse, or online, we hope you feel at home. Well, hey, good morning, church. Thank you for braving the weather out there to be here today. We sure appreciate that. Listen, I doubt that video said that we're one church, multiple locations, not true today. Today we're one church, one location right here in this room. The school said, you're not using our schools this weekend because of the weather. And so our courthouse campus is here with us today. So let's welcome our courthouse campus here. It's good to have them here on a day like this. 
And, and I, I love this. Hey, we have Pastor Andrew. He is a pastor of many talents. And today he bought his volunteers over at Courthouse. He bought them some incredible Sugar Shack donuts. But since they didn't meet over there today, I thought we ought to share that with you that are here live in person. So for all of you watching online, there are just some things you can't get except in person. That's all I'm gonna say. And, and right now I love his heart. He said, Pastor, how can we come over here and serve today? He and his wife are actually at this hour, so I gotta get them over there. They're serving in our preschool ministry because we had some call outs today because of the weather. And I love that he's willing to come over here and whatever the job takes, he's ready to do it. Isn't that good? So with this blessing of Sugar Shack and all this uh, health commitments that everybody's made out there today, I want you to spoil that by sharing this with them. And so if you want a donut, raise your hand. He's coming to you right now. Come on, come on, come on. And we won't judge you if you get one either. Hey, this lady just had a baby. She needs one right here. Take care of the mom. Take care of the mom. You see that, Andrew? Take care of the mom. That's not the mom. Now listen, let's do this because we know there, there's a lot of guests here today and we realize today because there's other churches that did have to close down as well, we're grateful that we can gather here today. And so with this, uh, I wanna give some encouragement as you get to meet other people. And so talk to all the brave people around you that know how to drive in the snow because in Pennsylvania, they're laughing at us saying, this is not bad weather, people, come on. So greet the people around you real quick. Come on, come on, come on. Tim, if you need a donut. Well, listen, I, I am glad that you're here today, and I am glad if you're watching and listening online, because I believe this message today, this series that we're starting, could be really, I think, could change the direction of this whole year for you. I think it could has the potential to change your future if we'll let God's word shine brightly today and where we're going. And as I begin this new teaching today, uh, as we often do, as we begin new series here at the church, I'm beginning today in a little different way. I'm gonna start with a concept. So today I'm gonna spend a little bit more time teaching to kind of set the stage of where we're gonna go in the coming days and, and maybe a little less preaching today. Hopefully you'll be okay with that as we kind of lean in together. Now the idea of teaching, the concept today, the concept that we're gonna look at, I've kind of rallied around a title of a series called Secret Sauce. Secret sauce. And again, as I share this, I do believe this could impact your future, your family. Maybe you run your own business or your job or even, even us here as a church. I think this has incredible application for all of us if we'll let it. And so the best way I know how to kind of get you to lean in a little bit, let me go ahead and kind of give you three ideas or three stories to kind of help with this. For starters, my wife and I, we're, we've been married 24 years. This coming summer, oh my word, 25 years in marriage. Can't wait. But 24 years ago, here we were, young married in our first careers. I, I was teaching school and I also had a part-time job where I was working at a local church as a junior high pastor. And, and as we were young married, I, I, this is why I think it's so important to be a part of a church. Because when you're a part of a church, you get to see other families that have been married longer than you. And you get to see families that you kind of like, I'd love to model my life by them. 
And in this church that we were in, there was this one family, and I think about them all these years later, they were the McCaslin family. Now, Roger, the father and the husband of this family, uh, he was my boss, but man, his family was just dynamic. And his wife, Linda, they just had this amazing marriage where you could just see the joy of Christ in their lives. And the way they talked to each other, the way they played with each other and laughed. And, and even you'd catch them sometimes walking up on campus, holding hands with each other. And you just go, man, that, that's a family that gets it. Now they had four kids, three of them, the, first, the oldest three were, were boys, were sons. And man, I'm telling you, they were just really cool, attractive young men. And then they had their youngest was a daughter. And as I watched this family dynamic, I mean, these guys were high achievers. It didn't matter if they were doing something in the arts, like theater or music or even sports. They were highly competitive, yet, man, they were filled with respect. They were the kind of kids that could talk to adults and be engaged. And man, they just had this loving spirit. And, and oftentimes, uh, Pam and I would watch them from afar and just go, wow. And then we got to get invited to get a little bit closer with this family. We got invited over to have meals with them. And if you thought it was fun watching from afar, being at their dinner table, man, it was lively and it was powerful. And it was fun because even after the food was over, they sat and just sat there and continued to engage with each other. There were some nights we came over there and played games, board games and cards and, and things like that. And there was even a couple movie nights we went over there. And Pam and I offline, we'd often talk and say, one day when we have kids, I hope, I hope we can get close to being a family like that. Does that make sense to you? Have you ever thought about that? Where you've looked at a family and thought, what is their secret? What is their secret sauce? Okay, go with me a little bit. All right, you got that? All right, let me give you another example. How many of you have ever eaten at Chick-fil-A? Come on, come on, come on, come on. If you don't put your hands up, I know you're lying or not American, okay? Chick-fil-A, listen, you don't have to love the fried chicken sandwich, but can we just all agree there is something about the Chick-fil-A experience that is different from any fast food out there. Come on, can you agree? There's something about how they keep their restaurant. There's something about how they work that drive-through. There's something even about the, the customer service that just takes it all the way over the top. And I don't know if you know this, they use what's called elevated language in their training. And so they teach that when people come in, they say, are you dining in or dining out? And then when you say, thank you, what do they say? They say, my pleasure. And it's something about that. You just go, oh, I just feel more important. This just feels more special. And there's something about that that I've often thought, I love Chick-fil-A, but what is their secret? What is their secret sauce? By the way, that's good too, right? <laughs> tastes good on them chicken fingers, tastes good on that salad. And, and, and here's what you gotta hate that I'm tempting you. I'm talking about something you can't have today because <laughs> they're closed on Sunday, right? But there's something about that organization. Are you with me yet? Are you with me yet? All right, one more example. And this one's kind of harder for me to say because I'm a Cowboy fan, but let's just kind of have the example of the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick. <laughs> I know, I know. Listen, again, you do not have to love the New England Patriots, but you cannot deny the success. You cannot deny that, that they've developed a culture there that really transcends even players. Now, when I thought about this, I even Googled to look it back up to just kind of get some real data for you that under Bill Belichick's leadership, they have won six AFC conference titles 
13 division crowns, 22 playoff victories, and yes, four Super Bowl victories under his watch. Listen, you don't have to love Love the the New England Patriots to say there's something they've developed there that's working. And what's more amazing to me is this. When they lose star players, it's like they're just replaceable. There's no player on that team that can't be replaced, including Brady. Isn't that interesting? They just keep winning. And I'm just looking at that going, man, what, what is their secret? What is their secret sauce? Are you with me yet? Are you glad you came? Come on. Aren't you glad you braved the blizzard of 2017 (laughs) to make it to the house of God today so we can tell God that he's most important to us? Well, today, let me give you this definition so I don't lose the, the real holy people in the room. Let me give you a definition of secret sauce right here. Here we go. It means special or distinct feature regarded as the chief factor of success. It's the it factor. It's the willing to take a risk, the willing to face the impossible and what makes your organization unstoppable. And as we talk about this idea of secret sauce, I want you to know it's it's what sets a company, an organization, and a team apart from all the others. It's what makes a job a place where people want to be. It's what makes a place attractive and fun, and and it's when people want to have it. What is the secret? What is the secret? And the question is, you here today, do you have it? Do you have it? Now, the real concept I'm introducing with this title is the power of culture, of culture. That's what we're going to lean in on these next four Sundays together. We're going to talk about the power of culture. Now, let me give you a quote by the the late, great, old uh, business guru, Peter Drucker. He says this, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Now, that's kind of a fun quote, but what does it really mean? Because being an American and, and being an American Uh, I guess, leading organization in America, you'll know this. If you Google books, we are infatuated with leadership. We love leadership. And when you read all these leadership books, you're gonna quickly find it's about what? It's about vision. It's about strategy. It's about setting goals. It's about accomplishment. And I don't think there's anything wrong thinking and believing and looking at that. But can I tell you today, there's something more powerful than having the right vision and having a compelling strategy because the more powerful part of this is culture, is culture. Now listen, if you're a teenager in the room, you're going, culture, culture. My parents preach against culture. You're talking about movies and music and all that. No, no, so let me give you some definitions of what we're really talking about here. So let's just go back to vision values. What is that? What are we talking about here? Vision and strategy... It's focusing on what? It's on products, it's on services, and it's on outcomes. It's the result that we're after. That's vision and strategy. Well, what we're talking about is culture, and I wanna make a case that's more powerful than vision and strategy. But here's what culture is. It focuses on people. Are you with me? How do I wanna be treated? How do I treat others? And maybe more importantly, how do I treat others that are in authority over me or in leadership over me? How I behave has everything to do with what we're shaping about culture. Does that make sense yet? Secret sauce, secret sauce. And so as we look here today at this idea of culture, I want you to hear it again because it doesn't matter 
how clear and compelling your vision and strategy are, if your culture is stagnant or toxic, you won't go anywhere. Some of you understand this. I'm seeing some head nods. You get this. If the culture's off, you won't move forward. It don't matter as a parent if you say, here's what we're going to be about. Here's the vision for our family. If the culture's off, guess what? We won't go in that direction. And you know this to be true. And so to me, as we look at this today, this is powerful if you really want to see your future change this year. Because when we focus on this idea, the flip side is this. If bad culture will keep you from going forward, healthy culture will stimulate people to do and to be their very best. And if we focus on building and growing healthy culture at work, in the family, even here at church, then we'll begin to understand what the secret could be for us today. And so in this, you're thinking, well, where in the world are you gonna find that in the Bible, Pastor? Well, listen, I could actually go to a lot of places in the Bible to show you this, but as I've been preparing for this series, I was reading another book and it kind of led me to this passage and I'm just gonna follow the Holy Spirit there. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, we're gonna be in the Old Testament. We're gonna turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. And as you're turning there, I want us to kind of look at this because to me it begins a conversation that I think could be valuable if you're in any seat of authority or even in any seat of responsibility. Now, this it factor I'm talking about today, if you've turned there, did you find out what it is? What it is? It's David and his mighty men. Come on. Some of you have been in the church long enough, you're familiar with the story, David and his mighty men. But if you're new to God and new to the Bible, I think you're about to find maybe one of your favorite passages. And as we look here at David's mighty men, I want us to kind of really see it because I think they had the it. I think David and his mighty men, they had the secret sauce. And I want us to see it being demonstrated in their life and in their relationships Now, we have to first of all ask the question if we want to understand what we're reading, who is David? Who is David? Think with me for a second. Some of you are thinking right now, oh wait, is David that little kid that had a slingshot and one day slayed the giant? Is that David? Yeah, that's who we're talking about. Also, David is the musician that plays for Saul when Saul's tormented by the evil spirits in his mind and his heart. That's David. David is also the mighty warrior that helps champion the ranks and leads the charge and fights battle after battle after battle underneath the the leadership of King Saul. That's David. David also is the second king of Israel. And as we look at today, we're gonna see kind of his journey in that role as king. That's the David we're talking about. But where we pick up in the story today is David now is at the end of his life And at the end of his career, and and we're going to hear what he has to say when it's all said and done. And as we listen today, I want you just to dial in and really listen in to see what is important to David and who does he give credit for all of these victories in his life. So let's just listen. Here we go. You got it? 2 Samuel chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. These are the last words of David. The inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse. The utterance of a man exalted by the Most High. This same man is anointed by the God of Jacob. This man is also the hero, the hero 
of Israel's songs. The spirit of the Lord spoke through me. That's what David said. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me that when one rules over people in righteousness, the right way, he rules in the fear of God. He is like the light of morning at sunrise on the cloudless morning, like the brightness of the sky after the rain that brings grass from the earth. And if my house was not right, David said, if my house was not right with God, surely he would have not made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to the fruition of my salvation and grant me every desire. But evil men, evil men of this world will be cast away like thorns which are gathered with the hand and whoever touches the thorns uses the tools of the iron and the shaft of the spear. They are burned up right where they lie. He begins his last words with praise, praise about the one and only God. And then look at this, verse eight. He shifts gears and he begins to celebrate the people around him in his life. Now they got some funky names and I'm gonna mess them up, but here we go. He has some names of mighty warriors, Joseph, but just read it fast and confident. Eleazar, Shammah, Abishah, and Benaniah, and the list goes on all the way through 37 names. I hope you'll come back. And as we look here at this passage of scripture, I wanna pull something out today that I think is part of the secret sauce of it all. Because today when I look at a man in his last days and his last days in the job and last days on earth, you begin to hear what's valuable and important to him. And what we're hearing quickly is that his relationship with God was supreme. Man, my God, my relationship with God is most important. And then right behind that, he starts to celebrate the people in his life. The godly, mighty men that God allowed to walk with him all throughout these days on earth. You see, this dependence on God, this love for others, to me, tells us what the first ingredient in our secret sauce is all about. Come on, don't you like that? Don't you like, it's gonna be a spicy sermon today, come on. This idea that we're looking at today about what can change culture in your life and my life, here it is. The word we're looking at today is called humility. Humility. It's not an easy word for our culture. Our culture likes to live opposite of humility. We actually see humility in our culture as weak, but I'm here to prove today through the word of God, I don't think humility is weak at all. I think it's actually the the deeper strength if we'll look at it the right way. This idea of humility, we're gonna talk about it in this way. And since we're talking about pouring it out, I'm just gonna talk about dousing humility. And I'm gonna give you some directions of how we can douse some humility today. And if you've got notes there, I think this is a perfect message to take notes. Like I said, I'm doing a lot of teaching today. And then as we move forward in the next couple, couple of weeks, I think this could actually begin, change the course of this year for you, if you'll let it. And so let's go there today. Let's talk about how are we gonna douse this humility out. So I'm gonna give you some directions. The first word of direction I'd give you would be this. Let's douse it backwards. Let's go backwards with it. And I've given kind of a phrase here on the screen that I want you to see. And it's this idea of backwards means remember where you came from. And so I want you to do this with me today because I I know this has been a long weekend with all this weather and you probably shoveled snow all day long yesterday. So make sure you're awake. Read this statement out loud, this backwards move. What does it say again? 
Okay, say it again. Awesome. Humility going backwards is really key to understanding our story. Now, as I share that with you today, when I think about this this group that God assembled David to have, this unmanned, ragtag group of misfit toys, yet they're willing to risk their lives for David, for one another, and for their mission. What led this group to be connected to David and to each other? What led this group to be committed to being willing to face impossible odds over This time, as we look at this, we're looking at a story that's found in the Old Testament. This is what we call Old Testament narrative. So how do we study Old Testament narrative? I think that's really key if we want to understand and pull out the right application. Here's what you need to see first of all. Old Testament narrative means it's a story that already happened. You get this, right? I believe David is a real historical person. He happened. Even books outside the Bible will give credence to his physical human life. It's a story that happened. So I don't think God's calling you and me to be David. That's not what this is about. So how do we read Old Testament narrative? Here's what we do. We look at the story and say, let's look and see the character of God in the story. How does God show up in this story? And then right behind that, what's the behavior or the character of the people in the story of humanity? As we look at the character of God and the character of people, it's there we'll find our application. I see David demonstrating humility and as he approaches God and humility as he approaches his brothers in his life. And today, this idea of pouring it backwards is key. Now the word humility in the original language, in the the Hebrew language means, this is interesting, it means to be afflicted. Isn't that interesting? When we position our lives underneath somebody and we connect our lives with somebody else, don't we now open ourselves up to be possibly afflicted? When someone gets hurt in their heart at a deep level, what do they say? I will never, I will never love again and they close up. Why? Because they have such a hurt because they've been afflicted. And we know if they stay closed the rest of their life, they'll be miserable because you gotta, you gotta what? You gotta trust to be in relation with people and being humble enough to open your life to someone also means you open your life up to the possible pain that's gonna happen. This idea of being afflicted is this theme of being humble. David though demonstrates though that the best life is to leave your life open, open. So this theme of going backwards, remember where you came from, let's just kind of look deeper in the story. Who's the first king of Israel? What's his name again? Saul. Some of you know the Bible, know this, King Saul. And if you know the history of King Saul, remember the story? They didn't have a king. The nation of Israel was different than all the other countries. They had what's called prophets, people that served as the voice of God for all the nation. And guess what they were asking their prophet Samuel? They said to Samuel, Samuel, we, we want to be like all the other countries. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. And Samuel says, no, no, we got it better than that. God is our king. We don't need an earthly king because then they could potentially abuse this situation that we now have with God. They said, no, we want a king. And they, they chanted so long about this that God finally said what? Samuel, give him a king. Give him a king. And so God helped them to handpick their first king, Saul. Now Saul, looking on the outside, this guy was a remarkable dude. 
The Bible says that he was head and shoulders over everybody else. He stood out in a crowd. And when you looked at Saul, you're thinking, wow, that guy, he needs to be our king. So on the outside, he played the part well. Matter of fact, I'll say on the inside, he started the role extremely well. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter nine, you'll see this, he was a humble guy. And when God invited him into this role, he was like, I don't know if I can do this, but he said, no, but God's calling you into this. And he said, okay, I wanna honor God. And he starts off at first in this position in the right heart, in the right way. But somewhere over time, He had a few victories. He had a few people praise him. He had a few things happen that guess what Saul began to do? He began to what? Forget where he came from. He began to forget that conversation that he had with God that God said, you you are now chosen for such a time as this. He forgot. He forgot. Now listen, on the other side of the story is David. This is interesting because when we think about forgetting, where does that forgetting lead Saul to go? And this is where I wanna show you for a second here. I'm gonna do a little bit of teaching today, so I gotta do a little bit of reading today. Can I read the word of God to y'all this morning? Like I'm asking for permission. Chapter 13 tells us this though, that this is where it starts to go down for Saul. Samuel, the prophet of God, came to Saul after he made a huge disobedient step. And he said, Saul, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command that the Lord God gave you. If you had kept that command, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But, but you, Saul, now your kingdom will not endure. And the Lord now is searching for a new leader, a new man, A man after, and watch what it says right here in the word of God. A man after his own, what's the word? Heart, that's key to the story. And he's now appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And so what does he do? A couple chapters later in verse, in chapter 16, Samuel still hasn't yet anointed the next king. And so God comes to Samuel and says, Samuel, how long are you gonna be upset? How long are you gonna mourn that Saul wasn't a good king? I've already rejected him as king over Israel. So Samuel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way because I am sending you now to a man named Jesse who happens to live where? Bethlehem, you ever heard of Bethlehem? Come on, we just got out of Christmas. You better know Bethlehem. A couple thousand years later, something pretty crazy that changed the world happened in Bethlehem. Y'all might have heard that, right? But a thousand years earlier, a man named Jesse lived there. And guess what? God says the man of God there to Bethlehem to go find the next king of Israel. And he shows up at his house and he says, one of your sons is gonna become king. Now, if you're Jesse, you're going, wow, that's a pretty cool honor, right? So what do you do when someone comes looking for the next king? What do you go get first? Who do you get first? You're what? You're firstborn. Here's my firstborn, man. Look how tall he is. Look how strong he is. He's a mighty warrior. He's gotta be the one. And Samuel goes, nope, he's not the one. And so then what does he do? He goes to the next son. Nope, the next son. Nope, the next son. All the way down to the seventh son. The seven, the number seven in the Bible is the number of completion. Surely he's the one, right? And Samuel looks at him and says, he's not the one. And he goes, do you got another son? Jesse's like, yeah, I actually got one, but he's the youngest son and he's out 
in the field working right now, right? You want me to get him? He said, yeah, I'll wait, go get him. And sure enough, guess what? That youngest son walks in, number eight son. Matter of fact, the number eight in the Bible is the number of new beginnings. And he says, he's the one. David is the one. He's the one. Hey, teenager in the room, I know y'all been on Christmas break and school just kind of got rolling again. And I know you're already here thinking, are we going to have a snow day tomorrow? No, you're not. You're going to school. But tonight... Tonight, you ought to come back tonight because at 5.30, we're continuing this narrative talk. And tonight, we're gonna talk about when God anoints David, the time frame before he becomes king. It's the small things that he does before he becomes king. You ought to come back because I think the small things, student, could actually be the, the game changer for you. We always want the big things, but what about the small things that we could do now that could change the course of where we go next? And while I'm kind of talking to teenagers, I'm telling you right now, you do not want to miss our Elevation Weekend. It is going to be a powerful weekend, middle school and high school. And we're going to talk about this theme of secrets in David's life. As you can see, it's the summer of David, the spring of David, I should say, the spring of David, right? Don't miss this moment to grow spiritually in your life and faith. All right, here we go. Backwards, backwards. Now, let's just kind of look at it another way then. So if you could, you could douse it backwards then you can also douse it. Come on, guys. Y'all are smarter than that, right? Forwards, yes. Here's the phrase I want to give you for forwards. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. Isn't that good? Matter of fact, say that out loud with me. Come on, come on, come on. Ooh, that didn't sound good. Here we go. When you, I said that wrong. Y'all didn't tell me that. That's why I messed it up. When I know who I am, then I will know what to do. Get that right next time. Forwards. Forwards. You know what most people struggle with, though? They don't know who they are. How many people struggle with identity in their lives? And then when you don't know who you are, you struggle with what you're supposed to do next in life because you're just like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, do you know who you are? Let's just go back to Saul again. Saul was told what? You're going to be what? The king of Israel. That's who I want you to be, right? And if you're going to be the king, then you ought to know what to do. But you know what happened over time? Saul began to forget where he came from, and now he's struggling with who he is. And here's what happens a lot of times, and see if you can relate to Saul without judging him, is this idea of going forwards is hard because all of a sudden, when you start gaining something, now you have something to lose. And when we start getting worried about what we're gonna lose in life, you know what you start doing? You start getting scared. You start getting scared, and when you're afraid long enough, You'll get angry at anything that comes against what you could potentially lose and you become jealous, you become territorial and isn't that really what's happening with Saul? And you know what's funny is the opposite of humility is what? It's, it's what? It's pride, I heard it, I heard it, it's pride. And pride is this declaration of look how big, look how great, look how good I am when actually pride is not a bigger life. Pride is actually the smaller life. Because you, when you and I live a selfish life, we shrink down because we've made life all about ourselves. Listen, when I look here, leaving forward, there's something here that's missing in 
the pages of this story. And look at what happens to Saul. This is what happens to Saul. This this is kind of good. Chapter 18 now. I know I'm reading a lot. Here we go. Verse 6. It says, while the men were returning after that mighty battle, that battle that David just killed Goliath, right? As they returned back, it said that the women came out of the towns of Israel to meet King Saul. And they were singing, and they were dancing, and they were singing, and they were dancing these joyful songs with timbrels and lyres, and they were playing this music. And as they dance you got to love the song it was on the top 10 right as they were singing this song they said they said Saul has slain thousands and David his tens of thousands Saul has slain thousands and David tens of thousands Saul has slain thousands and David is tens of thousands and everywhere Saul went that's all he could hear is that song that song that song even when he put his iPhone on all he could hear is that song And what did it do to him? Look at the internal monologue. It said in verse eight, Saul heard this song and he became what? Angry. This refrain displeased him. Why? Why are they giving David credit for tens of thousands and they're only giving me credit for thousands? What more can he get except my kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. If you keep reading this chapter, there'll be three more times where it says Saul was afraid. Saul was afraid. Saul became even more afraid. And here's what I want you to see, because some of you right now, this is where you're living right now. You're struggling with identity right now. And right now you're living in fear and fear and fear. And that fear is turning to anger. That fear is turning to jealousy. And you think it's building your life bigger when it's actually making your life smaller. And here's the thing, when your identity gets messed up, you don't know what your behavior is supposed to be about anymore. Come on, is this preaching to anybody today? Yet David, David knows who he is because he knows where he came from, right? And because he knows who he is, he knows what he is to do. And I think that's the difference that God's trying to show us here, but it came through David realizing this humility thing is a way to live. It's the better way to live. Now, David fought the Lord's battles, and I believe many people today, here and now, are struggling in crisis right now and in confusion right now in regards to identity. I believe God is the only one who can tell us who we really are. Do you believe that? I believe God is the only one that can really tell us who we are. And I think how often so many of us are seeking identity and approval and everything else but God. Think about this. How many people sit on the side and just go, oh, if I could just get that promotion, man, life would be so much better if I could just get that job. Oh, if I could just get her to pay attention to me. Oh, if he would just finally ask me to marry me. Oh, if we could just finally have a child and we're all waiting on the next thing that's gonna save the day for us and it's gonna change the game for us. And what we don't even realize is we're now looking for everything else to be and to bring us identity for our lives when really we should be looking to God to say, God, tell me who I am. Because if I know who I am, I know what to do. And we confuse all this earthly stuff. We confuse. You know why I realized I was reading a book called Humble, Hungry, Hustle by Brad Lominick. And he puts this quote in there. He says, it's, it's we don't know the difference between, we don't know the difference between these three words. Look at these words. Identity, calling, and job. 
And when we get those things out of order and mess up the definitions, this gets us tripped up. Because you know what your identity is? You know what my identity is? It's who we are. Who tells us who we are? God does. And then the calling on our life is how we what? How we express that gift out. How we live it out loud. And then at the very bottom, the caboose is what? It's the job. The job is nothing more than what? The assignment. But how many people have been devastated when they lose their job? Why? Because they made their job the identity. The job is just the assignment. Come on, just look at David. What are all the jobs that he had? Oh, David, you're the youngest. Guess what you get? Oh, you get to go clean up after the sheep. Go out there. Oh, stinks to be you. Literally, right? Some of you will get that on the ride home, right? That's all you are as a shepherd. Yuck. Oh, I'm glad it's not my job. And then he gets an upgrade, right? Because he gets to be a musician for the king. Come on, everybody wants to be a rock star, right? And so every time King Saul gets all agitated, he gets to go play for him, right? I think about our worship on Sunday morning, right? And then he gets even a better job. Hey, your brothers are on the front line fighting the real fight while you're back here with me taking care of the sheep. Can you go take your brothers some cheese? Listen, you might not know this, but David, was, he worked for Domino's. He's having to deliver pizza out there to his brothers. It's just what? It's just a job. It's not who he is, right? And even when things start to get better for him and he becomes a warrior, and even when things get better for him and he eventually becomes the king, even that, it's just what? It's just what? It's just a job. You see, David came to the place of realizing this. I'm not gonna let my family to tell me who I am. I'm not, I'm gonna let God tell me that. I'm not even gonna let King Saul tell me who I am. I'm not gonna let my achievements, my accomplishments, my bank account, I'm not letting even me becoming king tell me who I am. I'm just gonna let God tell me who I am. And I'm gonna let him tell me because when I know who I am, I know what to do. Come on, is this not speaking to anybody today? And when I think about that reality, how many of us struggle with this in our lives? Again, can I just read some words to you? Can I just read the Bible to you? Thank you. I'm going to. <laughs> Do you know that in the book of Psalms, it was, majority of those Psalms are written by who? David. Isn't that powerful? That we get David's prayer journal. And many of these Psalms is when he's going through some great challenges in his life. Can I show you how clearly David knew who he was? Let me just read Psalm 8. Oh man, maybe somebody came just today to hear Psalm 8. Holy Spirit, would you just use this to speak to somebody today? Here's what he saw about God and how he saw God in light of his situation. He starts off by saying, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name on all the earth. You, God, have set the glory in the heavens. And through the praise of children and infants, you've established the stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? But you, you have made them lower than the angels. You've crowned humanity with the glory and honor and you made them rulers over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet. 
all flocks and herds and animals of the wild and birds of the sky and fish of the sea. They swim in the pathways of the sea. And then he ends it again. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Isn't that good? He gets it. He gets it. And it changes him. I wonder how many of you are struggling with pouring it backwards because backwards for you, you came out of a family of pain. Maybe your parents didn't do all the right things. Maybe they said some things, did some things that you're still living with decades later. Or maybe you've got some broken things in your own family dynamics that to pour humility backwards, it's almost like, I don't wanna let them off the hook. I don't wanna let go and I don't wanna lead there. And then to pour it forward, to give humility to where you're heading next, you wanna believe you can do that, but so much of this gets cloudy and confusing. Can I tell you what David realized can help is this. It's not just forward and backward. And, and I don't know how to illustrate this. It's, it's, it's sideways, right? It's sideways. That's what I wanna talk about with sideways. Can y'all do that? Is that sideways? Here we go. And when he poured it sideways, look at this statement. Look at this. Thank we, not me. Can you go there with me? Say it. You know, something so simple like that, Dr. Seuss could have wrote it, Right? But isn't that interesting that David realized that life wasn't just about himself, but it's about what? It's about others. You see, we're always called to live life just for our own selves. And, and God's trying to show us that in humility, that's the smaller life when you live life just for you. Matter of fact, I'd ask the question, who are you living life with right now? Too often we live in isolation I think this right here gets us to live isolated. Right now, I got one of my kids, I didn't say this in the hour, she's not in here, I don't think I'll embarrass her, but I got a kid that, that lost her privileges of her phone right now. And, and we talk about this, this is what's interesting, and, and we can all see it. It's like my kid, my kid, her whole demeanor changes when she doesn't have a phone. She's down there with us. She's laughing with us. She's wanting to cook things down in the kitchen with us. She's spending time with us. All of a sudden, it's like she's changed. And I know as soon as I give it back to her, she's just gonna go back again and hide out again. It's almost like, why well, am I gonna give it back to her? Right? I don't know why I said that this hour. I don't know who needs to hear that this hour. And I hope she's not in here this hour. I love you in Jesus' name, wherever you're at. But why? Because guess what? Life becomes about me instead of we, and we begin to shrink and shrink and shrink. Selfishness will always shrink our lives and make our lives small. But David's life was rich and full and meaningful. And at the end, I love that he could praise God, but I loved even more that he could celebrate the people around his life. Can you? Can you celebrate the people around your life? I like to put myself in the passages and think, okay, at the end of my life, what would my praise sound like to God? And at the end of my life, who would make my list? Who would be the mighty men and women on my list that have impacted me in such a way that I'm better in my faith because they're in my life? Would you go there today with me and think about that? And then to make it a little bit more convicting, I would ask it this way, not just who makes your list, but would you make anybody's list? Man, that's sobering to think, right? And maybe that's the difference between being focused on we versus me. 
because that's the way God designs us to live, but it's gonna take humility to live life sideways with people. Do you know how hard it is to celebrate people around you when, when they're getting some of the good things that you want? You know how easy it is for you to get twisted when your good friend at work that you eat lunch with all the time gets the promotion and you don't? To celebrate that? When you're trying desperately to have a child and you're struggling with infertility and your best friends just keep celebrating they're getting pregnant again and again and again and again. How do you celebrate with others when they're receiving the reward that you're after? And when I think about these men that walked with David, David's life was not perfect. I'm not elevating David as God. Y'all gotta hear that loud and clear. David had his own share of mistakes, one of them publicly recorded in scripture. But you know what I see is this, is he meets this crew of people, this band of misfit toys. <laughs> you think I'm joking there. It says this in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 20. Actually, it's chapter 22. And this is what the kind of people showed up to David when he was living alone in the cave. He just ran for his life because Saul made attempts to kill him. And David's alone, scared, not knowing what's going to happen next. And in this moment, his family comes to him and meets him in this cave. And also, a, a band of people. This, when you Listen, when you're picking people for your team, this is the people you want to pick. He picked people that were distressed, people that were in debt, and people that were discontented. <laughs> Isn't that who you want to gather people around your life? That's who gathered around David because they saw something in David that they longed for. There was a humility there they trusted and believed in. And they were willing to come where David was. These are people that met David before he became king. Listen, when you become king, it's easy. Everybody wants to be your friend then. But what about the people that loved you before you were the king? And then when he became the king, these guys continued to walk with him even when he made some huge mistakes. When he had to get confronted about having an affair on his marriage and hurting his family. And they stayed with him even when his own son, David's own son Absalom, rebelled against him. And even, even when that revolt happened later, they continued to walk and be steady with him. And here David is at the end of his reign saying what? I applaud God and I applaud my mighty men in my life. David shows us what it's like to do life sideways. Maybe right now you're standing in a messy moment and maybe the question is in your messy moment is who's gonna stand with you in your thick and thin and I would revert it back to you and say who are you standing with in the thick and thin? You see, too many times we don't think we're the ones that have to be responsible. Somebody else is in charge. Somebody else is the leader. Someone else is the boss. When we're gonna begin to see, David shows us it don't matter what seat you sit in, we're all responsible. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Okay, so tell me again, where have we been? Come on, wake up with me. Here we go. We've been what? We, could, we poured it backwards. Here's how we're going to end today. We're going to pour it down. We're going to pour humility down. You know what David realized? When you bow your head and your heart to God, you've just now entered into the greater life. There's no way to walk with God outside of humility to bow down to God. I don't think our culture gets this because we're not a culture that bows. But there's something powerful in the physical posture of bowing down to, to show that somebody else is of greater importance than you.
This bowing shows honor. This bowing is what David saw in his life when he saw God. He humbled himself enough to say, God, I will bow down and follow you wherever you lead me to go, even if it means I gotta go face some giants in my life. I will bow down and go where you call me to go, even if it means the spears get thrown at my head. I will bow down and go where you call me to go, God, even if it means me being confronted because I made a horrible mistake and somebody has to tell me the truth. And God, I will bow down even if it means I have to give grace to my enemies because if that honors you, God, I'm all about honoring you. This bowing down is found all throughout Scripture, I believe this is what God wants for you and for me, and this is how we can change the culture of the environments that you and I live in. Are we willing to bow down? Listen, if you go to the Bible in Genesis, you're gonna meet a man named Abraham. You know what Abraham did before God? He, he what? He bowed down. You know, when Joshua was supposed to go into the promised land, what did he do? He tore his clothes, and what did he do? He bowed down. King Solomon, David's own son, the wisest man that ever lived. What does he say? He tells us this about humility by talking to us about pride. He says this, pride always comes before the what? You've heard this, haven't you? You know it's biblical. And then even in the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, tells us this is why this posture is so important for us as believers. That humility... Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So Christians, if we want to get to the crux of what we're talking about today, God was looking for a man after his own heart. The definition of David's life is he's a man after God's own heart. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. And as we talk about this idea of coming down, I think this is so key because you can't bow your head, you can't bow your heart until God has your heart. Now this is the part of the sermon where you have to get a little bit feisty and say, so what? All right, I I got up, I I fought the elements, I got here today, pastor, I hear this whole thing about culture, I can go there with you a little bit, secret sauce, oh, that's cute, pastor, I can kind of understand what you're saying there too, but at the end of the day, so what? So what? What does this humility thing really mean to me? And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the school teacher and the coach that's sitting among us and saying, you know what? How do you live out humility in that environment? And I was thinking about all the men and women that are in uniform, still active duty and serving, and and you've got this rank thing working and these position things working. How does humility work in your workplace? And I think about the business owners sitting among us, running their own business and, and thinking about their role with staff underneath them and how does this all work and the culture thing of, of how we're building this culture. And then I even think about the stay-at-home mom and the culture that she's trying to cultivate at home for the family. This culture thing, this culture thing. Listen, we're all a part of it. The problem is, is is a lot of us don't think we're responsible for it. You know what the tension of this story is? Sometimes we don't understand the real definition of humility and we don't understand the real definition of pride. You see, pride 
we think, oh, it's that loud, obnoxious, arrogant person that's telling everybody how great they are. Well, listen, that's one aspect of pride. But you know what pride also is? Pride is also the person that has to always be in control. Pride is the person that says, I cannot and I will not let that go. I will not forgive. Pride is also the one that says, well, if I'm not in charge, then I'm not even going to care. That's pride too. And so we have to come back to this today and say, well, so what, pastor? So what? Who is this really for? And then I got convicted the last few days and said, wow, what if I'm doing this whole teaching series (laughs) for, for the pastor in the room? Listen, I'm the pastor of an organization called Mount Ararat. And I'm thinking, how does this apply to my life? You know, when I think about our church, I think about who's gonna gather with us on Sundays, because that's part of it. But you know what? I lead an organization. I lead a staff all through the week. And you know what? Your staff kind of becomes like your real family. Yeah, they're the ones that see how you behave on good days, bad days. They see the good, the bad, and the ugly about your temperaments. They see and hear your words and experience you. And I start going, oh man, we at this church might have a great vision. It might be even compelling to draw people in. We might even have good strategies, but if our culture is off, guess what? It don't matter how good the vision is. If we don't stay faithful to the culture. So can I just get vulnerable for you today? Let me see how I can pour this thing out in my life. You know, I could look around and go, wow. Man, look at what we've done here at this church. Look at how great things are at this church. Man, this is a big church. Man, this gets a lot of respect. I can even go outside the walls of this church and people recognize our church and recognize, oh, you're the pastor with all those people that have magnets on the back of their car. Oh yeah, Mount Ararat, I know that church, right? And I could puff up like Saul and go, wow, yeah, look at me, look at me, look at me. And then God kind of quickly reminds me, do you remember, do you remember where you're from? This is where it gets a little trickier. Because then all of a sudden I take myself back to Texas and I take myself back to being that angry teenage kid that was lost and how a simple invitation from my neighbors invited me to church. And then I remember myself sitting out there in those pews and hearing this gospel message of Jesus and realizing, man, I was lost. Realizing I needed a savior. May I never outgrow my salvation. It don't matter what job I have, right? Today, my job is pastor of this church. Guess what? I might have 10 more jobs before I die. My job is not my identity. Who God tells me I am. That's who I am. And when I know who I am, guess what? I'll know what to do. I'll know what to do, but if I mess this part up, Oh man, I'll get off course. I'll start to get threatened. I'll hear about other churches coming around and going, oh, wait a minute. No, listen, churches are not our enemy. Lost people needing Jesus, that's the goal. And if I put my eyes on being insecure and jealous and afraid of other churches, oh my word, I'll become no better than Saul. Does this make sense? It's hard though to be humble here. It's hard to be humble here. And it's not always easy to trust people here because guess what? We got we to have all the right answers. Isn't that what we believe? 
You know why people followed David? It wasn't because he was always right. It was because he was real. I think people are more committed to following somebody real than somebody that's got to always have the right answers. Come on, isn't that true? And we think we always got to have it all, but you know what? I need people around me that do have the right answers. I need to be walking with people so that my list gets bigger and bigger of mighty men and women in my life because I don't have it all figured out. And I need people in some days to confront me. I need some people some days to encourage me. I need some people some days just to love me exactly who I am. I gotta, I gotta pour myself out sideways though. And it's not just receive, it's give too. And the best posture I can have as your pastor is me being a child of God saying, God, I am nothing apart from you. May I continue to bow my head and my heart to God above, because it's the best life that I can have in this world. Come on, is this preaching to anybody today? This is what we do when God calls us to come to Him. And I'm here to tell you today, I don't know your pride issue, I don't know your struggle issue, I don't know the culture of every place you go, but I know this, I'm responsible for my culture and so are you, no matter what seat you sit in. And the secret, the secret sauce is humility. It's not easy to practice this, but it's a game changer when we do. Just ask David, just ask David. Bow your hearts with me. Father, I thank you for what you're saying today to every life in this place. And God, maybe we got altered today because of the weather and we're not over at courthouse today, but we're all here together today. But maybe that's on purpose. You knew who was gonna be here this morning. And what I love about you, God, is you know them from the top of their head to the balls of their feet and you love them. And there's no accidents here today, God. I believe today you're knocking on the door of somebody's heart that's not a Christian that's never made a commitment to following you. And today, God, you're asking them to bow their head, to bow their heart, and to trust you as their only Lord and Savior. Is this you? Am I speaking to you? What will you do with God's invitation this morning? But God, today, I believe there's a lot of people in this room that call themselves Christ followers, Christians. And today, God, you're wanting to say something to them about their walk with you, their dependence with you. And God, you wanna heal something that's broken there. But God, I believe you're also talking to us about how we're treating others. And God, I believe there's some healing that you wanna do there as well. And so today, God, the question is, will we bow before you? Will we praise and worship you? And will we trust you to lead us forward. God, that's what this invitation is all about, to the believer and to the unbeliever. It's to bow our head and heart to you. Thank you, God, for speaking so directly to us today. Oh, God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, stand your feet. Stand your feet. We're gonna walk out of here right now, but before we do, prayer team's gonna be here at the front. I believe today somebody wants to begin their relationship with Christ. Someone wants to give their heart to Christ. That's what it's all about. Come up here to one of our men and women and say, I need to to become a Christian today. That's me. Others of you that are Christ followers, this is gonna be a year of new commitments. 
our commitment is to humility. I'm gonna ask you to step out in our people street and find out how you can join a small group so you can begin to get real in the word of God with other people, to begin to be humble sideways with other people that wanna grow spiritually too. Take the step that God's calling you to take. Don't let pride keep you from taking that next step. It's time to trust, it's time to praise, it's time to love like God's called us to love. Will we do that? Will we do that? I love you, church. God bless you. Go be the church.